0: Well, good morning. Good morning, and Zach, you cannot have an adult kiddie pool kickball <laughs> event. We need to save the adults' lives because we we can't li- we can't do that. We can't survive like that. All right, can't do that. Anything else you can do? All right, guys, welcome today. And uh, if you're online or if you're with us in person, that's great to see everybody. We're going to continue and conclude actually the series today that we've been in for a few weeks on gender. You know, uh, three weeks ago, sixty minutes. Uh, on TV, did a segment on transgenderism, highlighting uh, four former trans young people, and the purpose of the the uh, uh, program or segment, I believe, was talking about healthcare and uh, and how difficult it was for them. And these young people were detransitioning. However, the conversation very quickly went to anger and bitterness from these four young people each of whom felt like they had been blindly affirmed and even convinced to transition to the opposite sex irresponsibly. One of them, a young lady named Grace, was given hormone shots almost immediately after her uh, initial uh, conversation or counseling, and four months later had a mastectomy. Another young person, Garrett, was approved for hormone treatments after two counseling sessions and within three months had a sex change surgery. And all four of these young people regretted their life-changing surgeries. Now, you can imagine what came after that. Immediately, 60 Minutes began being attacked and criticized for bringing something like this, this inconvenient truth, to light. So, we've been in a series now for a couple of weeks on gender, and if you're just joining us in person or online, you might want to go back and kind of listen to the last couple of messages uh, because we can't cover everything again. But to recap real quick, when it comes to sex, science and biology agree that it's rooted in our biology. Uh, Science, excuse me, science and the Bible agree that it's rooted in our biology, that gender is sex and sex is gender. And there's a growing idea in our world today that these two can be separated and that gender is all about the psychological, the social, and the cultural aspects of being male or female. And we say that there are gender roles. Many times they're generalities and stereotypes of what men and women are supposed to do and act. And we said that because these are stereotypes and generalities and preferences, they're not always absolutes, that men and women do different things today than they used to in the past, and we shouldn't be too concerned about that. But when there comes to gender identity, that's a different issue. Gender identity can be defined as someone's internal sense of self, as male, female, both, neither, or almost a hundred different identities that are out there today to be chosen from. There is a condition we acknowledge called gender dysphora, where someone looks in the mirror and sees a body they don't identify with. We know that's a very real feeling. And up until the last few years, culture has rightly identified such cases as mental health issues that can and should be addressed with treatment, but now our culture feels like it should not be treated as, or cured, but instead should be affirmed and enabled. And so that kind of catches up, up to where we are today. But the question we've been trying to ask is, how do we as Christians view this? How do we deal with the culture that's around us and all the changes? And let me just say up front, like I've said every day, is that first of all, we are to have love and compassion for anyone who is hurting, confused, or wounded. That has to be the heart of every believer. The church hasn't always done that well, but we've got to do better at that because people at their core are looking for uh, 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 someone to care about them, someone to love them. Someone to accept them, and we have to do that. We have to give them love and compassion. Understand that God cares for every person who has ever been born, no matter their struggle in life. However, the Bible does not condone letting this dysphoria determine who we really are as men and women. So as a church, we cannot affirm the various ways that people oftentimes erroneously respond to their dysphoria. The Bible does not condemn anybody who struggled with this or any other sin. The Bible doesn't condemn us when we're tempted, but the actions of choosing to live in denial of their biological sex, the Bible says, is wrong. In fact, we read, I think, last week that said that someone who presents himself as a person of the opposite sex is detestable to God. So rather than dressing and changing our look to that of the opposite sex, Rather than pursuing hormones, treatments, or surgeries to alter our appearance, the Bible tells us to seek to accept our biological sex as God made us, to understand why we may be having struggles with that, but to be able to find uh, uh, the, the, the healing that we seek for. We also acknowledge that all of us are spiritually broken. All of us struggle with some issue in life, probably more than one issue in life. But the way to face our issues is not to give in to them, but instead to follow God's original plan for our life, get the professional and the Christian help and encouragement to manage our problem in light of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and then also to surround yourself with people who will help you live in accordance with your God-given sex. That's what the Bible tells us that we should do. Let me just throw in here that we have a ministry that helps people with their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's called Celebrate Recovery. Celebrate Recovery. And that meets every Monday night, uh, and there's a meal, and then there's support groups. Uh, Many times we look at that as being mainly about addiction, but it's not really uh, geared for that. In fact, uh, most people across the country who are part of Celebrate Recovery are not recovering from addiction. It's other issues and uh, hurts, habits, and hang-ups in their lives. And so this would be a great place to find a group of Christians who would come around you, encourage you, and help you on your walk and help you find some healing. But today, I want to wrap up this series by talking to parents, uh, because this might be the most alarming side of this cultural uh, revolution or change that we're seeing today. And I want to begin with the Scripture from Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says, "'In these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise.'" You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so God is telling them that His Word should be imparted to children. In fact, not just read to them, but in fact broken down, given to them, shared with them, made practical to them. And make it a daily part of their life. Something that they see, that they hear, that they experience. They understand God's way all the way through. And then it says in Proverbs chapter 22, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And I know that's difficult sometimes. And the reality is that, that we think, okay, when there's a problem, that's when we have to fix it. But the real issue is training up a child from their very youngest age very young, and then we're going to talk a little bit about that today, how do we invest into our children, how do we talk to them about difficult issues like this, and understand that our world around us today is very confused on this and other topics, and also understand too that it's not just in the media, it's not just in big cities on the West Coast, which we all assume are just kind of crazy anyway, and up in the East Coast, you know, it's, it's everywhere, right here in Central Kentucky. We have people who are struggling with this issue. So I know for some of you it's been a difficult journey the last few weeks because maybe this isn't on your front burner and you don't think about this and it's not relevant to you, but believe me, it's all around us today. And if you are a parent especially, you need to deal with this. You need to deal with it with your child and help them understand how to think about it. A couple of weeks ago, Dan, uh, our worship guy, told me that he had sat down with his son, Boston, who was in early elementary, and began having the foundational talks about things like this, not about, not about the things we're going into today, but basically who he is and how God made him, how God made him in the image of God as a young man who will grow and develop, a man to accept who he is and, and to understand that God wants him to uh, uh, work through the challenges and questions of his life. I don't know all about that conversation, but knowing Dan, it was a good conversation, and it laid the groundwork for a lot more conversations to go. So that's what we have to do as parents. First of all, have the open doors so we can have these tough conversations that are awkward for everybody, but be able to begin the conversation, and then we can add to as they grow. But what do you do if your child deals with this personally? Because it's not just your child wondering what's going on with other peers that are having this conversation, there are Christian parents that are dealing with in in their child. And we'll talk about why. I think why in a little bit later on. But what do you do when, when your child asks you about this? Is it okay for them to dress in opposite sex clothes? What if they don't follow traditional gender norms? Should you raise them gender neutral? Remember several years ago, we heard about people that were raising their kids gender neutral, and we thought that was kind of crazy, and now here we are today, and it's no really surprise that, that we've come to this point. Should we let our children choose their gender? Should you go along with them in their confusion? What do you do as a parent? I hopefully this will help you. Hopefully you won't deal with this personally, but maybe it will help you with other people in encouraging them and the challenges that they may have with their family. You should also know today that there is a rapid rise of gender dysphora in young people and young girls in particular. Young girls are really seeing this more than anybody, any other population probably. You know, we hear a lot about millennials and we joke about millennials, right? But, uh, but there's another generation below millennials. It's called Generation Z. And this is the, I don't know who gives the names to them, but this is the, uh, this is the generation of people between the ages of 11 and 26 and one of the characteristics uh, of them is their view of sexual fluidity. Sexual fluidity, this is a lot why we're, we're even talking about this. You know, they tell us that 5.6% of U.S. adults identify as LGBT, 5.6%. But 15.9% of Gen Z identify as LGBT, and most of them say that they're bisexual. So that is three times the rest of the population in this one generation, 11 to twenty-six, at this point, that, that feel like they that identify in this way. But think about what they've seen as well. Think about what they've seen in their lifetime. They've seen the legalization of gay marriage. It used to be that this wasn't even a reality, but today it is, and our kids, some of them don't even know any difference, right? They've seen Bruce Jenner transition to Caitlyn Jenner. They've seen people like Miley Cyrus, who used to be cute little Hannah Montana, remember her? Hannah Montana, now Molly Cyrus, saying she doesn't relate to being a boy or a girl, and she doesn't care what her partner is. And they've seen Kristen Stewart, uh, an actress, say, you don't have to figure out if you're gay or straight. That's the messages that are coming to our kids. This is sexual fluidity, and it's very confusing, and it's no wonder that when people are told this, uh, children are told this and taught this and hear this every day, that they begin to wonder what or who they are. Understand that there's a lot of confusion out there, and we need to help add to the clarity in that, not the confusion. There's a man named Dr. Preston Sprinkle who wrote a book called Embodied, and he tells the story of a young girl named Stephanie. Stephanie was like a lot of young girls. She was shy. She wasn't really very popular. She wasn't an outstanding student. She wasn't an athlete. Nothing really identified her as being different or outstanding. But when she was 13 years old, she came home and told her mother that she was transgender. And her mother was shocked, and it seemed to come out of nowhere because there was no history of of gender dysphoria in her childhood or any confusion. There was no tomboy behavior. There was no interest at all. But then her mother found out that Stephanie had just heard a presentation at school about being transgender in a school where 5% of the student body identified as transgender or non-binary, 5% of the students identified in that way. So Stephanie's mother, mother, wanting to give her a care, took her to a gender clinic where she was told this, you need to start referring to your daughter with masculine pronouns, you need to call her by a masculine name, and you need to put her, give her a binder to flatten out her chest. No therapy, no counseling was recommended at all, but she was then directed to put her on puberty-blocking drugs, and if she didn't comply with all of this, she was told that Stephanie would be at a high risk of suicide. Now, that's the kind of shock that a lot of parents are getting. This is being repeated countless times all over the country as being trans becomes popular among teens. And what it's called, it even has a name, it's called rapid onset gender dysphora. Rapid onset, no, no history, nothing, all of a sudden the child comes home and, and they begin to share this. Researchers have identified several different dynamics of this uh, disorder. First of all, few of the students ever showed any signs of gender dysphoria previously. Secondly, the new identity appears out of, the, out of the blue. Many of their friends also are coming out similar ways. They become more popular after they become out. In fact, they even become heroes, boldly acknowledging this. And suddenly, everybody, they're very popular They engage online and social media, and many of them have other mental health issues or concerns that are not being dealt with. And that last dynamic here I think is the most interesting, because if you've been kind of following this, we said that previously these type of struggles were identified as mental health issues up until 2013, where they become uh, an orientation that is to be enabled. Remember also some of the videos that we've seen about individuals who acknowledge that they were dealing with mental health issues and disorders, like multiple personality disorders, schizophrenia, and so on, that were never really treated. When these, at least 63% of them had a psychiatric disorder or disability, doesn't mean they were crazy or anything or mentally ill, but they had a mental health issue that wasn't being addressed. And when these kids were taken to a gender therapist, 72% never even explored the issues of mental health or any other issue, never even talked about it. They just began immediately treating and moving them toward a transition. The children believed... That through what they had heard online and read online, and what had been told by others, that transitioning would solve their problems, it would make them popular, and they would be much better off. That's the kind of students that were that were highlighted on 60 Minutes when they were told, "You're struggling with this. Just do it, and you'll be so much better." But they realized later it wasn't much better, and they're detransitioning. And guys, this isn't in some far off big city. It isn't. It's right here in central Kentucky. You know, I was told that here in our high school that there is a group of students and adults called the community, the community that openly encourages and affirms students who feel that they are transsexual. Now, I don't know how well-known that is. I don't have kids in high school anymore, and probably there are some people right now that are not real happy with that being brought to light, but understand that's out there, parents, and you've got to understand that there are people who are, are, are dressing your, your children, Combine all of that with a child who isn't necessarily popular or who isn't outstanding in sports or grades, who doesn't have a high opinion of themselves to start with, and it just creates a recipe for disaster. So, what does a parent do in a case like this? Well, I'm going to tell you if there ever was a time to step up and be a parent, it's time to do it. Not to be a cheerleader for your child's confusion. Uh, And not just in this area, but in a lot of areas, parents, we don't know what we're doing or thinking we're poor leaders to our children, and we let them get in big trouble. And I say we uh, because I acknowledge that. I've shared with you in the past, many years ago, uh, we had one of our children, thank, gratefully, they they straightened out everything, but uh, I was very consumed with ministry of all things and wasn't as engaged in my child's life as they should be, and he got in some trouble. Not about gender issues, but about other things as well. And so, parents, we have to be engaged in our kids' life. Now, honestly, I wouldn't worry a lot about gender roles when they're little bitty kids. Little kids are going to dress up sometimes in the opposite gender clothes. You may not like that, but they're going to do that sometimes. Some little girls are going to be tomboyish; They're not going to like dresses. Some boys are not mechanical or outdoorsy or uh, sports-oriented. That's okay. Don't feel weird about that. Don't make a big deal about it. Uh, you know, every child is a little bit different. But when it comes to gender identity, you need to get serious and be proactive. You need to be proactive. First of all, you need to affirm your child's biological sex and never shame them or make them think you wish they were the opposite sex. You should never call your little boy a sissy You should never, ever make fun of him in that way. You should never tell your daughter that they're a tomboy and say, I wish you were a boy, I wish you were a girl, if they're not. You should never, ever do that. That's probably common sense, but sometimes we don't use much common sense. You should assure them that God made them intentionally who they are and that their identity is found in Jesus, not in the culture. You need to make sure that your kids know that. Because parents, your primary responsibility as a parent is to lead them to Jesus. And when you lead them to Jesus and they find who they are in Him, it makes it a whole lot easier to, to weed out the counterfeits that the world's trying to force on them. So you teach them who Jesus is. You lead them to follow Jesus. You model that. You be a godly man or woman and a godly parent and set the example for their children. When they are young, begin to have the conversations about why some of their friends may struggle with their gender because they're going to see this in their world. And you need to talk to them about that. Open the door to that. Not get deep into it or anything, but just open the door. You need to be the first one to talk to your child about this. You know, sometimes parents, we're the last ones to talk to our kids about the big issues because we're afraid we're going to tell them something and we're going to shock them. But what I discovered years ago is that our kids are probably ahead of us most of the time in what they know, and we're behind, and we're afraid to tell them what they already know, or they've got misconceptions about something. Most parents are naive and don't realize their child are hearing and seeing information from other sources, including pornography, a long time before they hear it from their parents. You know, I asked uh, Zach and Eric, I said, so what ages are kids seeing porn today? And he said, they said, well, they likely are seeing porn by fourth and fifth grade. Our kids are seeing that. They've, they've figured it out from their friends or from, you know, finding it accidentally or whatever it is. And this is all part of it as they begin to be sexually uh, start thinking and kind of, you know, thinking about this and seeing this. Not every child's there. I understand that. But I would not assume that your child didn't know more than you think they know. You need to have those conversations with them as uncomfortable as they are for your kid and for you, because they are uncomfortable. There's no doubt about it. Understand, too, that there are people around your child that have an agenda to lead your child where you don't want them to go. And there are real people, and there is media and television that is teaching things that your kid does not need to see or hear. I was reading on television between 2017 and 2019, so there's a two year span there, there was a 222% increase in representation of LGBTQ identity. So, in a two year span, 222 times what had been uh, represented just, just two years before. They say there are 259 gay transgender characters on cartoons and TV series aimed at kids. And I believe there's a drag queen on Blue's Clues. Parents, they're being fed this as being normal. And they're, be, they're assuming it's normal. We've got, to counter, we've got to counter that. Because the media, the world, bad characters are stealing your influence and leadership. You need to be the one to lead and guide your child. If your child, your grandchild, or some other child comes to you with gender confusion suggestions, be prepared to lovingly guide them to accept their gender as God made them and as science has created them. Understand it is your job. Now, what does a parent do? Well, parents basically have three options as to respond to their child's claims of being trans. The first option is to actively get them professional help to address whatever disorders that they may have to counsel them about their biological and their God-given gender and how to accept who they are. That is the first thing, be able to give them counseling. You know, there are two states in the country at this point, uh, California and New Jersey, both very liberal states, obviously, where it is illegal to do that. You as a parent cannot take your child in those states to a Christian counselor to address this gender dysphoria. Illegal to do so. I think there's a couple cities. I'm not sure about Lexington, not Louisville. I'm pretty sure it is illegal. So that's crazy, isn't it? Where you as a parent can't decide what counseling your child needs about that. But while it's while it's possible, and even if it wasn't possible, I would be doing it. Even if it's illegal, I'd be doing it. All right. The second thing is to take a wait and see approach. Just to wait and see, hoping that they're going to grow out of it. By the way, if parents do little more than wait and watch, studies have shown, now get this, guys, that 70 to 97.8% of males and 50 to 88% of females will outgrow the dysphora. They will outgrow the dysphora if it's just a waiting see. Probably a balance of the first two steps is the best approach if you deal with this personally. Now, of course, critics call this child abuse, and some states even ban therapy, like I said, to discourage transition. But in my opinion, the real child abuse is taking a child and letting them become something they're not, in, 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 with surgery, whether drugs, whatever it may be, that's child abuse. And I think there are a lot of professionals who have already labeled that. But the threat, of course, is that they might, this might provoke suicide. In reality, though, The highest suicide rate is among those who actually do transition. 81% of those who transition consider suicide, and 40% actually attempt it, which is multiple times what the rest of the population is. So if your loved one transitions, they are very likely going to at least consider suicide because it's not fulfilling what they hoped it would do. The third approach to this, of course, is called affirmation therapy. and and this is what is promoted in our culture today. It involves supporting transition to the opposite gender. This includes things like social transitioning, where they are now becoming and presented as your son, not your daughter anymore, blocking puberty with drugs, stimulating cross-sex features with administered hormones, and then ultimately surgical intervention. Parents are foolishly Foolishly taking these drastic measures when their child would probably outgrow these thoughts. Remember, 50 to, 50 to 100% likelihood, the upper percentage that they will outgrow these things if they are not encouraged and brought into that culture. The simplest of these measures, puberty blockers can have irreversible effects on fertility down the road. Hormone therapy can cause heart problems, cancer, and worsening psychiatric disorders. And, and sex realignment surgery will obviously render them infertile and bring the danger of serious health issues presently and in later life. A lot of parents are destroying their grandchildren by letting their kids go through this, by taking the initiative to do this. Some of these life-changing, life-altering actions are performed on children as young as 10 to 12 years of age. And I want to tell you, a child that age is in no way able to make life-changing decisions. Most of us at the age of 10, even up to 17, probably didn't make the best decisions in life, and our parents should never encourage us to foolishly do those type of things. There is also a push to lower the age for hormones and surgery without parents' consent. We have to believe that one day down the road, these children, many of them are going to come back, and they're going to ask their parents, were you simply crazy to let me do that? were you crazy? And there's going to be a lot of grief and a lot of hurting people. And the threat of the child committing suicide if they don't, don't transition, well, let me just say this, I would never minimize that, not saying that at all. But by all research, that threat is propaganda. It really is. It's a scare tactic. It's an outright lie. The advice, transition, or suicide is not ethically responsible, and the suicide rate actually increases dramatically if they do transition. It is a difficult issue, no doubt, but you should never be threatened by that, to give in when something you know is not the right thing to do. So what do parents, what do you do? Real quick, let me give you some bullets. First of all, be informed. Be informed. Your children are immature, and they need parental maturity. They need us to lead. A lot of us are not leading well. Know what your children are doing and who they're doing it with. You know, I told you when my kids were little, I had to tell my kids at times, you are not going to be around these other kids. Not about gender issues, but because their parents were not leading their kids well. And I will say this, that some of those kids were in the church. And they said, but dad, we go to church with them. I said, I don't care. You know, they're doing things that you're not going to do. Parents, you have the right and responsibility to do that. If you have girls especially, know about the phenomenon of rapid onset gender dysphoria that I mentioned earlier about that. And know how it's tied to t- peer pressure, exposure online to sites, encouraging them to identify as trans and also some mental health issues. Don't be afraid to get your child some mental health help if they need that. And this series has just been a start, but get more education keep up with the trends and know your child. Be informed. Secondly, be involved. Be involved. Parents, we can get so busy with other things that our child basically is raising themselves. They're looking to peers and other people for affirmation and approval. This ought to be coming from you as a parent, and you ought to be going to them to get involved in their life and development. Keep the conversation open for everything, but especially their sexual development. No matter what they're dealing with, it may not be Uh, LBGTQ uh, issues at all. It may just be their their own sexual development. It may just be what they're dealing with, the pressures that they're dealing with. Today's kids are being culturally pressured and socially influenced. Be involved. You know, I was reading uh, one thing about a parent, and she called this the cult of transgenderism. And she said, this cult, you know, we remember hearing about cults that would take our kids away from us, you know, and separate us. This is separating families, this is taking kids away from their parents, taking some rights away from parents, but also separating the child because it's either you go along with this or we're done. And there are people out there who are affirming them whenever they choose to do that, in fact, encouraging to do so. Thirdly, be in charge. Be in charge. Do you know what your child is looking at online and what they're doing and seeing? I know you think you do, You probably think your kid, you know, with that iPad, just doing kid stuff. But if your child has unfiltered access to the internet, I can almost guarantee you that they have seen porn, even accidentally. They may be even researching porn. And do you know how much time your child is spending on their phone or on social media? In one study, the parents thought it was an hour a day. In reality, it was three and a half hours. Three and a half times what you think your child is doing, they are actually involved on social media. But here's the good news, with all the bad news. The good news is you can be charge of that. You can take charge and of who they spend their time with. And honestly, as a parent, you can control everything about their lives if they're still in your home. Part of the problem is that we as adults don't have the courage to tell our kids what they can and can't do, when actually you are the parent, and God has given you this child to raise, not. They're friends to raise, or their friends' parents, or the school, or the culture. You. They're your child. You brought them into the world. Take some responsibility for them. And I say that to all of us. I would say that to my kids about their kids. Open your eyes. Do not assume anything. Take the initiative with your kids. And quit acting like you're helpless. Quit acting like that you have to affirm everything they feel. Parents say no sometimes. We hate to say no, but we have to do it. See, this is more of a parenting sermon and encouragement than anything else, all right? Just say no. Tell your kids what you know is right. Don't allow culture and feelings to determine what they do regardless of what the issue is. Because the reality is that you have the greatest influence on your child, and they're looking to you to lead them or to affirm their decisions when they're confused and they come to you and they, 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 they present, they, say, they may just be asking, what do you think? Be wise enough to say what you, what you know, not what they want to hear all the time. Whatever their struggle is, get them Christian help. Get them the support of a Christian community to help them uh, accept themselves as God made them. You know, we have an incredible youth minister. We have a, 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 a guy here who loves kids, who's investing in them. And yet a lot of parents don't take advantage of that. I want to tell you, when my kids were growing up, they were in youth meeting every week. They always want to come? Nope. They didn't. Preacher's kids are like that too. You don't always want to go to church. But it wasn't because I was a preacher. It's because I was a Christian dad that said, I need some help with this. I want them to have help. And when when I made mistakes and my kids got in trouble, their youth ministry and their leaders, their small group leaders, help pull it through. We all work together to bring them out of that. And guys, you need to take advantage of this opportunity. It's a free program to help your kids come to know the Lord better. You need to do that. But above everything else, be in charge. Lead your children. Lead them to the Lord. And the best thing I would say at having young children would be to dedicate them to God when they are young and raise them up to know the Lord. Because people who know the Lord know who they are in Christ. They're not searching for the culture to tell them who they are. They know that God has already told them who they are and that God has given His Son Jesus to save them. And along with that is a shameless um, introduction to our dedication Sunday next week. Um, I would encourage you, if you haven't dedicated your child to the Lord, you need to do that. Make sure that you are leading them and they are walking with the Lord. But that's next Sunday on Father's Day. For right now, I want to wrap up the message. I want to wrap up the series by telling you, I don't have an obsession with this topic. You may think that. I don't. But I have a heart for it because I see people's lives being broken and people hurting through this. Not only today, but in the future. I can't imagine what the future is going to look like when 15% of a segment of our generation is so confused like this and, and maybe making horrible decisions. And you know what? At the rate we're going, that number's probably going to increase. Somebody has got to be the voice of sanity. Somebody has got to say, stop, this is nuts. This is, can't go keep going on. And I'm not the only one. I'm hoping that pulpits all over the country can share this sort of information and just be honest and say, guys, we've got We've got to find God's word and God's truth in this. That's my heart. We need to pray for people who struggle, pray for parents, pray for our culture, that God would have mercy on us, that people's hearts and lives would change. And the only way for that to happen is for them to come to know Jesus. The only way. So that's really what this is all about. It's not about gender, it's about coming to know who we are. In Jesus Christ. And that would be my plea with you that if you have never given your life to Jesus, you would do that today. You would make this the day of decision. Whether you're a parent, whether you're a young person, a grandparent, I don't, it doesn't matter. You know, we all need to find Jesus and find hope. And again, in the beginning of all this, I said there are many ways to be broken, but there's only one way to be saved and healed, and that's Jesus. And we want to give you a chance to come to know Him. In fact, following our communion, which we're about to go into. Tony and I are going to be up front here. And if you want to come up and pray or talk to somebody, we're available to do that. Maybe it's not about you at all. Maybe it's just about our culture, that your heart is broken for our culture, and you want to pray about that. I would just encourage you to to seek God and seek His uh, his healing and and pray that our, our world turns to Him.